Welcome to the Mike Stoker Podcast. I'm Dean Wilson with Mike Stoker, Nolan Anderson, who is not with us today. He is. It's a multi-generational podcast within the cabana. We're in a cabana in Santa Barbara, California, about a half mile from the beach. It's Thanksgiving week, and we are grateful. There's a lot to be thankful for if you take the time to look around and notice it. Much to be thankful for. We're thankful for you. Thank you for so many listeners. We've seen, we see you from around the world joining us. Hope you'll tell a friend. This, the episodes have continued to get good traction, and we're, we're grateful that you're listening. Hope you're being informed, and uh, certainly I have learned a lot in my time here. So we're glad you're here. Mike, welcome. Hey, it's, it's kind of like Christmas in the cabana. I have the Christmas <laughs> lights now up. Dean brought me my coffee with a happy holidays mug with a, uh, you know, uh, it just got holiday stuff all over it. Big snowman. Um, Christmas is in the air. Christmas is in the air. Maybe we have to start doing some Christmas background music. (laughs) Right. So, you know, we have a a great guest today, John Kabatek. Um, He is the, he, when he's president of Kabatek Strategies out of Sacramento, he's just a policy wonk. Uh, you know, always knows everything going on in Sacramento. He's also the state director for the National Federation of Independent Business, which, folks, I got to tell you, during my political, you know, my political career and being involved as elected office holder and, you know, who who you affiliate with, out of all the groups that probably I affiliate the most with, uh, being a libertarian type Republican, fighting against taxes, fighting against regulations that kill small businesses and don't do anything to pr- protect the environment or, or health or anything like that. Uh, you know, the National Federation of Independent Business is the association that really is so focused is is watching out for the small businesses. In this case, with John, the state of California, um, you know, Chamber of Commerce is great. But chamber, the U.S. chamber, the California chamber will often, you know, be more engaged for those large, large, large corporations. And they're fighting for business. and They're doing a great job. But it's the NFIB that really is fighting for your small businesses. So John's got some fascinating stuff to talk about. Um, I, you know, what made me think of bringing him on, on the show is I saw a commenta- uh, commentary that he put out on LinkedIn about, you know, what's causing all the backlog with all the cargo ships off the port of Los Angeles and uh, Long Beach and what can be done to solve it. And we're going to talk about that and a whole lot of other things. But first, you know, what I'd like to do is kind of go over uh, some, you know, go over what things in the news from local uh, up to federal and then national. Um, The first thing in terms of what I think we should all be aware of is um, redistricting. Every 10 years we redistrict. There's a California Redistricting Commission that will deal with the state legislative and congressional uh, districts. And I often get this question, who redistricts? And is it is it state legislature that does it for everything? Uh, it's not, it's the redistricting commission that makes recommendations. That's at the state level for state and federal races. At the local level, that is so critical to local policies, your county board of supervisors, that's done by ultimately the Board of Supervisors, and there is a, a independent redistricting committee that was created by a local initiative passed two years ago. Um, they will be making basically their final de- decision on December 8th, with it actually being adopted on December 10th. And this is really critical, folks, because you want to talk about games being played. Um, there, there, are, there is a proposal that they're seriously looking at. You basically have three, you know, you, you've had 
five districts with the swing district being uh, what's called the third district. That's uh, takes part of a Isla. It has currently Isla Vista, UCSB in it, and then it takes in Solvang and Los Olivos and San Inez Valley. Um, there is actually a proposal with that becomes the third vote either for kind of a more pro-business perspective to join North County Supervisors, Bob Nelson, Steve Lavanino. Um, there's a proposal to make sure that the North County or a more conservative board does not get elected to literally take uh, Isla Vista and UCSB, link it up the coast and, and pull it in to Lompoc, um, basically trying to create four more South County districts. Uh, I, I, legally, it would be challenged if it happens. There's legal guidelines on redistricting principles that you have to apply. One of them is that you maintain a community of interest. Clearly, UCSB and Isla Vista, their community of interest is not Lompoc. It would be South County. It would be more specifically Goleta. That's the roads they drive through. That's initially the, the restaurants they go to, the gas stations, the supermarkets. And then you could argue next would be potentially Santa Barbara. But clearly, if you're going to follow the redistricting guidelines, you got to keep Isla Vista and UCSB in the South County. I'm going to give you an email address. It's called redistricting, R-E-D-I-S-T-R-I-C-T-I-N-G, at countyofsb.org. That's redistricting at countyofsb.org. I would send a simple email saying, do not consider under any circumstances putting Isla Vista UCSB uh, anywhere other than with South County cities like Goleta and, and Santa Barbara. To do contrary to that would be violating the redistricting guidelines. And if you want a little bit more, you could you know, check uh, if you want, you can Google redistricting at Santa Barbara County and you can bring up the different maps. You could say you support maps number 804, 404, 103, and or 106. Those are all consistent with the appropriate guidelines to maintain community of interest throughout the five districts. So we'll be talking about this more as probably as we get around December 10th when, when these districts actually get adopted. Um, going to federal, um, two things. We've talked about the mandatory vaccine by President Biden's order. Uh, on numerous occasions, big, big news last week, the Fifth Circuit, um, you know, you have 10 circuits in the federal court system, um, and basically a, uh, the Fifth Circuit now has issued a mandatory stay against Biden's uh, mandatory vaccine order as it applies to the workplace in regards to you get the vaccine or you lose your job. Um, finding it troublesome on many fronts, but one of the main compelling reasons was finding that they um, came to the conclusion would ultimately be deemed unconstitutional. This sets it up for, uh, so that gives everybody relief. That's a good thing. Uh, we've had, you know, I've had fire, Sean Kaufman on the show. Um, I've had others on the show that talk, have talked about, you know, they're losing potentially their jobs. This gives them potentially relief. I would assume, I haven't checked into it, place like Santa Barbara County, the city, the states probably are stepping back in light of that Fifth Circuit ruling. Re reconsidering what will be the, uh, the, the the approach going forward for employees that refuse to get a vaccine. But, you know, that's big news. Fifth Circuit that sets this up. Ultimately, this is going to be at the United States Supreme Court. They're going to make a decision. You know, also, I think that's really big federal news that we got to talk about. You know, um, Rittenhouse was found um, not guilty on all counts. This was a huge trial. Um, you know, we have the greatest jury system in the world. Is it always get it right? Not all the time. Not, nothing's 100%. But we have to respect our jury system. And when 12 independent jurors 
who are the only ones not, you know, making a decision based on, you know, snippets in the news and a little bit here, a little bit there. They're basing it on the entire case. They're basing it on what the prosecution has, everything in their tool chest. And I, when you get a unanimous verdict, if you go talk to any of your criminal, um, you know, lawyer friends that represent the defense or represent our DAs, they'll tell you, I mean, generally a defendant is lucky to get a hung juror. When you get 12 to say not guilty, that is sending a real, real, you know, um, uh, a, a message. And I think now where the, you know, what comes into that is what does President Biden think when he was a candidate and he immediately called Rittenhouse a white supremacist? Um, you know, there's a lot of talk now by Mr. Rittenhouse of filing a lawsuit for defamation against the president. Uh, you know, their basis is clearly if he doesn't do the background check, the, do the back check into background information before you make a statement like that. That's pretty chilling when you call someone a white supremacist. Uh, if you're not a white supremacist and you're called that and people believe that, that is hugely damaging to your reputation. Uh, this is a kid ready to go into college. And I just find it reprehensible, irresponsible, outrageous that any president, I don't care. Republican, Democrat presidents should never prejudge, should never intervene as the executive branch of government into the judicial branch. And basically, um, candidate Biden was the judge and jury in that one and immediately concluded, you know, that he was a white supremacist. You know, shame on you, President Biden. You owe him a big apology. And what did we get? Not an apology. We got, well, I hope you'll respect the jury's verdict, but I find it very troubling. You know, like, well, I don't even trust that jury. You know, th th this is this is such outrageous conduct by presidents. In the past, presidents have honored our judicial system, and they stay out of it, and they respect juries, and they respect jury uh, verdicts. This president clearly, you know, has has been a game changer. I hope he doesn't set bad president for future presidents. Only time will tell. But this president was so wrong as a candidate to call Mr. Rittenhouse, who was acquitted unanimously by 12 jurors, a white supremacist, and then doesn't even have the courtesy and the decency to apologize to this young man. Um, just outrageous. Finally, on the federal front, you know, President uh, Biden um, had his meeting with with President Xi in China. Um, since Trump left office, the Chinese have been very, very, uh, you know, very, very uh, aggressive in sending a message that, you know, we're not too worried about the United States anymore. And something, folks, you better start watching for um, is China has been testing what are called hypersonic missiles. And in the last week, they successfully, this is a hypersonic that goes all the way around the world and came back and within 10 to 15 miles, hit its target in China. Um, and, you know, we always want to talk about military superiority in the United States of America. Um, China's done about 300 of these hypersonic tests. The United States of America has done nine. And I'm not even get into maybe another show. If you want to listen to who President Biden's own chief of staff uh, has, has said about, you know, this is a Sputnik moment. This is very troublesome. Um, and, 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 you know, and test it. Anybody, any of your political observers that really understand international foreign policy will tell you often these tests aren't just the test. It's the message you're sending that, you know, you're, you're you feel emboldened and you don't feel at all uh, in, intimidated. In this case, in the United States of America. I mean, they, they basically did this test on the eve of this this summit between President Biden and President Xi. 
So it's not only the hypersonic test in and of itself, it was the emboldenedness of the Chinese government, uh, the, the communistic, uh, you know, Apollo Bureau there that did this test on the eve of President Biden coming, like sending a message like um, President Biden, you know, we, we know who can call shots when it comes to China-U.S. policy. I don't think that the United States has as much clout as you think you have. So, um, it, it, you know, that's kind of that's going to be something to keep watching. You know, I doubt if very many of you even know what hypersonic tests are. I really didn't until I started following this a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to now move on, go to my guest, John Kabatek. And I think, John, John, you're, are you on the line? Yeah, Mike, I'm on the line. Great. I thought we had a little pause there. I wasn't sure. Well, you know, I, I let all our listeners know prior to you getting on president of uh, Cavitech Strategies and what you do. And then I let everybody know how NFIB as far as I'm concerned as a guy that's been involved as the elected official and, you know, a politician that's been involved for fighting crazy regulations that put our small businesses out of business to you know protect health of the environment you know and and just create costs for our small businesses that the nfib is really the leading advocate when it comes to fighting for small businesses i love the chamber but chambers often you know are, they also have the big the big multi corporations big corporations uh, are always uh, you know at, at, in, in, on the on the table with the chamber and and rightfully so but the NFIB yeah. is the, is the entity that you look to to really protect our small businesses. So why don't you do a quick, you know, you give a quick summary. I, you know, I let them know you're the state director in California NFIB when it comes to monitoring everything in Sacramento to affect our small businesses. Uh, you're the guy in that role. Um, why don't you tell us a little about bit about what you do with NFIB, NFIB, uh, kind of being a watchdog in Sacramento. And then I let everybody know the first thing we're going to jump into is this issue with all the cargo off the uh, port of, of, uh, of Long Beach and Los Angeles and uh, not getting in and how it's hurting small business and how you got some ideas how we can maybe change that around. Sure thing. Well, first of all, Mike, great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, always enjoy talking to you. You're a longtime friend. I think back when my hair was really brown, Rich, I didn't say Willie Brown. I said really Brown. <laughs> but uh, it's so great to uh, to talk to you again. And thanks so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate that. Um, I've been blessed to be here in the role as the California State Director of the National Federation of Independent Business. Actually, uh, Mike, a California-born organization uh, about 73, 74 years ago. Um, and it was rooted in what you just said. The, the gentleman who founded it was uh, in South San Francisco. He was a member of the United States Chamber. He was a member of the uh, Chambers of Commerce. But he really felt that there wasn't an organization that was out there truly fighting for the true small business owner, the mom and pops, the entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy, Mike, that says, look, any job creator, small, medium or large, should be lauded for trying to, to move our economy and jobs forward. But as you were saying, small businesses are just affected in a very disproportionate way. Um, I think they end up paying about three times more to comply with taxes, about 67% more to comply with regulations. And they're, as you know, Mike, you know, they're usually the easy target for these frivolous shakedown lawsuits. Um, so this guy created NFIB uh, more than 70 years ago. And today we are the largest and the leading small business advocacy group, not just here in the Golden State, 
uh, but across the nation. We represent about 15,000 small businesses in California, about 350,000 nationwide. And we just, our goal, Mike, is pretty simple, just to make sure that we protect the right of every small business owner member to own, operate, and grow their business. And that's been the mission back since the, uh, the early 40s when we were founded. Well, and you've you've been an incredible advocate uh, with you, the state director. I mean, unfortunately, folks, you know, John, we, we can't uh, magically change the numbers in the legislature, which makes John's uh, job <laughs> unbearable at times. But, you know, that's why we need to vote some of these people out. And we'll talk a little later in the show, maybe about redistricting <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but yeah. you've got to deal with a legislature that, you know, as you know, is not at all sympathetic to the people you represent. And fighting and fighting for that in that kind of environment is tough. I mean, you have one of the toughest jobs uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the politics in Sacramento and fighting for the cause that you're, you know, fighting for so aptly uh, with the with the, the toolbox. You know, yeah, we need John oh. Cabot. We need the NFIB. But let's shift over to talking about it over the last couple of months on, on the show. With you know, I mean, uh, Christmas isn't going to be. A lot of people aren't going to be getting their Christmas gifts this Christmas because a lot of those gifts are sitting offshore, you know, and you know, hundreds of uh, cargo ships, uh, a port of Long Beach, port of uh, uh, Los Angeles. Uh, which, by the way, folks, forty percent of all imports come into this country through that port. So, um, John, why don't you give us a kind of give us your overview of the situation and some of the ideas you have that could help at least you know ease the pain and maybe get the uh, gridlock uh, freed up a little bit more yeah well absolutely and i think uh, it's funny uh, mike you were talking about small businesses being impacted i i would think i was in the central coast not too long ago and i was talking to a small business owner and i said man even before the pandemic um it, it was like uh, swimming upstream i'm sure for you as a small business owner he was an older gentleman and he grabbed me by the arm and he said son it's like swimming upstream in peanut butter. <laughs> and I said, okay, I, I see that visual. I feel that visual. Uh, but, you know, it's true. This, this uh, even before we had this port disruption and these big challenges, uh, we found so many small businesses that were really, you know, given the short shrift here. Uh, you know, talk is cheap. And I think one of the things that we really have been eager here at NFIB and we've been fighting for is you know to make sure that we giving those small business owners a pathway to um, to grow and rebound from this terrible terrible pandemic, uh, and you know the, the supply chain disruptions are real problem. Uh, this what we've had here, and there are opportunities for real solutions. But we do surveys of our members, Mike, and in our latest COVID uh, ten poll that we did in uh, late October, uh, we found that sixty two percent of our small business members basically said it is getting worse. The supply chain disruption is getting worse. And we found that a majority of them said that they are impacting their businesses. Most of them saying that they've got lost sales as a result of that. So easily um, about 49% finding that lost sales opportunities. Now you combine that, Mike, with also the 49% of our NFIB members that we've surveyed recently that said they're not able to find anybody to come into the jobs, the positions, despite the higher pay, despite the more benefits. Um, it is a challenge. So, um, and you talked about Christmas and no doubt about it, but we have been pleading with Governor Newsom. Uh, and in fact, we said, make no mistake, Governor, you know, you need to work with the Biden administration to open these ports, not only unclog the ports, 
but you got to unclog these horrible regulations that are strangling small businesses. And, and we basically said to the governor, you know, let's be clear, we're not asking for your leadership, governor, in order to ensure there are toys on the shelves for Christmas or toys alone. We're asked, we need your leadership now to make sure that there are basic supplies that small businesses and a, a Californians need. Uh, right. Like med- <laughs> you know, medical supplies, diapers, food, basic necessities. So uh, they can do this. Um, the question is, do our leaders have the political will over powerful you know, labor unions and others that um, often strangle the process here? And we're hoping the governor will do the right thing. Well, I know you wrote a letter to the governor in your capacity as executive director or state director for NFIB, and I think you had eight recommendations, as I recall, in the letter. Why don't you go over some of the things that you, you know, so our listeners are aware? Because you got, you know, sure. you, again, you hit the nail on the head. People don't realize. I mean, I went to my, I had a car issue with my mechanic uh, last week, and he can't get a part. You know, so you know, no. mechanics can't get parts. You know, the, uh, the if you're if you're selling. Um, you know, toys and things like that. You're a small little mom and pop operation for Christmas presents and you, you can't sell them. Um, if you if you your contractor can't get the materials, my wife's an interior decorator. She mm-hmm. she tells me how it I mean, you cannot believe how how hard and difficult it is to get what the client's wanting because of this whole supply chain, uh, you know, issue that's is, is starting with the key you know and focused in down at the port of los angeles san diego so why don't you tell tell everybody a little bit about the the letter you wrote the governor and some of the recommendations nfib had sure sure absolutely well and i and i will say you know it's important to point a couple things out this is not this should not be a political issue mike this should not be a left or a right issue in fact you know we've heard we've heard on the left we've heard uh, such you know such folks as you know a transportation secretary uh, Pete Buttigieg, right, talking about the pro- the prices of toilet paper, diapers, facial tissues, other things like this that are going through the roof, that it is a real problem. The Fed chair, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said he's never seen these kind of supply chain issues. So we are hopeful that between them and the governor and our leaders that they're going to wake up here. And, and to the governor's credit, you know, I would say, you know, um, you know, there have been some actions with an executive order that he recently approved, which would actually help at least um, require agencies and the State Department of Finance, Finance to work more to help find some better solutions. But they've got well, and, to do hey, more. Hey, John, let me stop you real quick because yeah. for the listeners that don't know about the executive order, the, the governor issued an executive order that's pretty generic, uh, but it basically orders all the state agencies to kind of report right. back and, and, and come up with anything they can come up with their in their toolbox to help free up this, you know, the, the supply chain problem, you know, down at the port. So that's what the executive order ha- says, you know, in yep. my lifetime, I'm, you know, I'm a little older than John. I, you know, I just filled out my social security application at 66 for next year, if I choose to take it. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I can tell you, there's been so many executive orders by governors and presidents that ask the agencies to look at something but nothing ever comes back out of that executive order. So that's going to be the question, whether these executive agencies right. really say, Governor, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. I'm, I'm sure maybe you, NFIB, have some ideas for some of those executive yep. agencies on some of the things they can and should be doing that will help you know, ease this problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, an executive order is one thing. But what we have been pleading from the beginning, Mike, since this happened, has been urging the governor to declare a state of emergency at the ports. And we're just we're, we're just perplexed as to why and frankly frustrated that our state leaders are not 
treating this as the state of emergency that it truly should be economic health civil uh, impact that this has on Californians and frankly the nation so the first thing that we we joined we sent a letter we've also been talking to the governor's team and legislators amongst us the California Chamber of Commerce uh, the business roundtable but also a lot of small and regional groups out there uh, Orange County Business Council and other groups out there that are making sure that they are doing a few things first of all declare a state of emergency immediately at these ports it's got to be treated as such there is no reason why we should not have this as a true emergency. This is urgent. Um, we're urging the governor to suspend some very terrible regulations that have already been strangling businesses. Um, there's a bill, AB 701, that he signed this past year that would impose significant regulations on warehouses and industrial parks, um, but really uh, hamstringing these warehouses from being able to get product in and out to Main Street. Um, you may recall, Mike, AB5, another thing we asked for was this um, legislation that the governor signed, which we felt even before the pandemic was terrible, which narrowly, narrowly limits what the definition is of an independent contractor in California. Right now, we need the governor to make sure and recognize that independent truckers uh, and folks who are these independents out there who need that flexibility to get product from the ports to the warehouses, to the small businesses and to the consumers, we can't have people hamstrung with these terrible independent contractor and restrictive laws. Um, there's a chance for that discussion, Mike, but not right now we need to make sure we can open things up like our warehouses and the ability for people to, to deliver to and from. And then some other things, Mike, you, you're the expert on environmental, um, but I think there are certainly, you know, we've been asking the California Environmental um, Air Resources Board and local port uh, drayage trek regulations. We've been urging flexibility on these these environmental regulations that are making for serious delays in new trucks, manufacturing, delivery, um, and our local the air quality districts as well, which, as you know, have such an overview of so many supply chain issues that you know those are some other areas and mike you probably have some opinions on that stuff as well but then i'll just finish up our letter also urged the governor to make sure that they are expediting CEQA, which is the california environmental quality act and the permitting processes so that more warehouses and more storage facilities could be built quickly and effectively former governor pete wilson was able to rebuild the 10 freeway mike you remember those days back in uh, in the 90s after the earthquakes um, in a matter of several weeks uh, there's no reason why our leaders shouldn't be fast tracking the ability to build new warehouses and storage facilities to get this stuff to and from our ports and get them in but the first thing the governor needs to do mike call an emergency declare this in an emergency that it truly is otherwise we are just ignoring a serious disaster that that's making its way around the corner if not already here well you know you read my mind when you were saying fast track you know the sequel process i mean i immediately before you said i thought of governor wilson in the aftermath of that earthquake and it was uh, there mayor, mayor richard reardon with los angeles did the same thing the city of los angeles and what they accomplished in terms of what they were able to build within literally it was in 90 days that you know for all our local listeners
I, you know, we, we actually are multinational and we have folks in, in Europe and in Japan and in America, the uh, U.S. territories from Mariana Islands to Puerto Rico. But we have a lot of listeners, obviously, me being the local guy, Santa Barbara. You know, we've had a freeway project going on here for five years and it's probably going to be another three years before it's completed or, or probably a total of a 10 year project. I mean, what they did in California when they suspended CEQA under the emergency powers that the governor has and the governor, Governor Newsom has them in regards to the port if he wants to use them. Literally, they rebuilt freeways that would have taken years to build within 90 days. That's a fact. And um, and and I saw when you mentioned that, it's immediately what I flashed to. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I just want to say something on this other issue. You know, in my former capacity as Southwest Administrator of the United States uh, Environmental Protection Agency, um, I did a lot of work with the Port of Long Beach and the Port of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned previously, 40 percent of our imports come into that port for all U.S. imports. And what I've advocated, and you may be wanting to think about this as a mitigation when you're advocating for um, potentially the governor waiving in the short term until the supply chain issue is resolved, uh, and potentially even in the long term, many of the environmental restrictions that are causing this gridlock, you could give the port credits, and people don't realize this, the port of, of Long Beach, yeah. It's kind of a separation between Port of Long Beach and Port of Los Angeles, but it's one large, huge port, the majority of Long Beach. The Port of Long Beach is completely 100% electrified, 100% electrified. No other ports in the world are 100% like the Port of Long Beach. So I've, I was even arguing as Southwest Administrator when other glitches were coming up, when I was dealing with local stakeholders, it had nothing to do with EPA and our jurisdiction, but I was mm-hmm. arguing that that any decision makers that want to give credits for the electrification for potential um, waivers or, you know, temporary waivers for some of the other environmental restrictions that are causing, you know, hampering the, 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 the supply chain. You know, they could do that. So, I mean, the, the governor has the, the tools in his toolbox. It all starts with you declare a, a, an emergency, state of emergency at the port. That gives him then the authority to do things like Governor Wilson did when he suspended CEQA uh, for, you know, all the damage caused for the, uh, from the earthquake. Governor Newsom could be doing the exact same thing in regards to fast-tracking warehouses and anything in terms of uh, on the supply end that where we need, we, we're lacking places to hold the supply. That's where the warehouses come in. Obviously there's a lot on the trucking side that we need yeah. to give relief to the independent truckers out there that the regulations are hampering them. And that's why they're not on the job again. And, you know, and, you know, you, you kind of mentioned in the beginning, I always talk about it. A lot of these regulations that, they hit a small business that much harder. The large corporation could sustain it. The smaller small business has so much margin to work with. And every regulation that adds another, you know, you know, four units cost for for creating this or creating that, that can be what puts them, you know, over the over the edge that they either do not engage with the contract or potentially puts them out of business. So you always have to keep in mind that when it comes to small businesses. These regulations that are, you know, unless it specifically provides an exclusion 
for an employer, you know, like a, a health mandate of less than 100 employees or that kind of thing. Most, as you know, I did a lot of labor lives. The former chair, I think, if you remember, John, of the California uh, Agricultural Labor Relations Act. Most, sure. of, most of your labor laws, most of your environmental laws, you know, do not have an exclusion for small business. It applies to the mom and pop with one employee as much as it applies to the multinational corporation with thousands of employees. So, you know, that's where some of these regulations have to be lifted to allow all the smaller independent contractors that are involved in this equation that are now being hampered and can't engage to be able to re-engage. And that ultimately is going to be what, you know, resolves this supply supply uh, issue down at the port, in my opinion. No question. And Mike, you having served at the local, state and federal levels in, you know, key decision making positions, you uh, you understand more than most um, how very much a direct correlation is between the dollars that small businesses bring in and those tax dollars, those revenue dollars that actually help feed our public services. Uh, and when that is cut off, when that when that valve is shut off, um, our our schools, our hospitals, our the highways and roads and the potholes uh, gets those things are stopped in their tracks as well. Uh, and conversely, when those are thriving. And when those businesses are thriving, our public services are thriving. And we try to make that clear to people that when you give, when you pat small business on the back during a pandemic or beforehand or afterwards, uh, and you don't act on that and help them, you're stopping, you're, you're creating a suffering of your own public services. So, um, and it, and it re relates directly to the port problem, because if we can't unleash, uh, if we can't, uh, frankly, uh, unclog rather, are serious regulations, the costs, the problems. I'm told they're looking at finding, you know, um, cargo ships that aren't uh, able to, you know, dock quickly enough. There's all kinds of, if you start to put these, these regulations and these costs and you scare these things, these businesses away, or you add to the clog, you're just hurting our public services even more. And you know that might probably better than anybody <laughs> understanding the, the, the connection there. Well, I'm going to we're going to take our our uh, every uh, every show. We have a one minute uh, nonprofit charity shout out. We're going to take that break in a minute. But I want to I want to close with, you know, it, it, this podcast is known for, you know, I call it like it is. I give credit where credit's due. You know, I'm not just there to promote Republicans and say Democrats are bad. You know, I you know, there's we have a lot of great Democrats and a lot of lousy Republicans, uh, you know, we, the bottom line is you look at our small businesses, they're independents, they're Democrats, they're Republicans. And when you were saying what you were saying, I, I'm a native Californian. I, you know, I'm a baby boomer, 1955. You know, I grew up in the 60s when California literally was number one in every category. We were number one in infrastructure. We were number one in job production. We were number one in education. We were truly the golden state. Um, yeah. You know, over the years, when I'm speaking to Republican groups, I'll often be asked, you know, so who who was you think the greatest governor in California? And they all think I'm going to say Ronald Reagan. And I go, you know, Ronald Reagan was a good governor. He was a great president. In my mind, at least in my lifetime, the greatest governor in California was Pat Brown. Edmund Brown was the infrastructure governor. What Edmund Brown understood, if you if you took some of his quotes in his speeches, where he mm -hmm. said, I want to be the number one job producer because the more jobs we produce, the more income we have. And the more income we have, the more money we can spend on the needs of the state. He was a guy that got it. 
he was a guy, as you know, you deal with these, the, the, you know, the progressives and the, the far left in the legislature. You know, they don't understand the concept of killing the goose that lays the golden egg. Pat Brown did understand that. He, mm-hmm. he knew that to be number one in job production, you it basically allowed you to have the dollars for infrastructure, the dollars for social programs, the dollars for education. And, you know, it's our small businesses. When you put them out of business, this this state has a huge loss um, that if you allow those small businesses to stay in business, whether they're employing one person, two people, five people, 10 people, every one of those individuals is, is getting a paycheck. They're paying income tax. And they're, I mean, study after stu- study um, in regards to the, uh, you know, you remember the Varney report way back in 2004, oh, sure. was done correlating what these regulations cost in regards to lost Small businesses that often, you know, what will happen is, you know, the the mom and dad are at retirement age. In the old days, they would have passed it off with the kids or sold it or whatever. But because of the regulatory climate in California that John with NFIB is every day fighting to to get rid of those burdens, they just call it quits. And that's one more business that shuts down, one more business that's not paying income into the state that Pat Brown understood so well um, is the, the lifeline to have a state that has the revenues you need starts with giving your small businesses the tools they need to stay in business. So with no that, I mean, uh, we're going to take a, a quick uh, one minute uh, charity nonprofit shout out and we'll be right back. This is Drew Wakefield with the Mike Stoker podcast in the Cabana One Minute Charity Nonprofit Shoutout. Today we feature the St. Vincent's annual fashion show and luncheon at the Rosewood Miramar Beach, Montecito, on Saturday, November 27th, 2021. St. Vincent's is the longest running charity nonprofit in the greater Santa Barbara 805 area, dating back to 18. 18- 58. St. Vincent serves those in our community who are less fortunate than most of us, and they do it with compassion in a number of ways. Affordable housing for seniors and low-income individuals, early childhood education, and their amazing family strengthening program, which is a drug and alcohol-free transitional housing program for up to 27 months, designed to assist low-income single mothers with one or two children. For more information on the annual fashion show and luncheon, please visit St. Vincent's online at stvincents-sb.org, stvincents-sb.org, or call Regina Ruiz, Vice President of Development, at 805-683-6381. That's 805-683-6381. Welcome back to the show. Again, my guest today is John Cavatech with uh, Cavatech Strategies, um, and also John is the state director for the NFIB. Before we get in, I know you, you've been working, John, on a, you know dealing with technology kind of uh, issue that is really affecting our small businesses and businesses in general, and our economy for that matter. But before we get into that uh, subject matter, why don't you let our listeners know how they can contact, how, how you can be, if you're a small business person, 
I strongly recommend you become a member of NFIB. Um, John can talk about the, the basic membership tools, but it's ridiculously inexpensive for what you get for an advocate fighting for your, you know, your interest to keep you in business. But for anybody out there wanting to know how to get involved with the NFIB, join the NFIB, contribute to the NFIB, uh, John, why don't you let them know how they can uh, make that happen? Well, thank you, Mike. It's again, it's great to be back with you. And uh, uh, we definitely want to make sure every small business owner out there, especially these days, knows that they are not alone. They are not alone. You are not alone out there. And NFIB is the one organization that is really, truly fighting for the small business owner, both in the state and the nation's capital. We provide incredible set discounts on. Uh, payroll processing, health care needs, other things. But most importantly, we are here to make sure we're fighting for you at the regulatory, legislative issues at the state and federal level. To get involved with us, you can go on our website, which is nfib.com, nfib.com. We have a California page, and you check us out here or look any, at any of that stuff. And then our telephone number is 916-448-9904. Four four eight nine nine zero four, and anybody's more than welcome to contact me, Mike. Uh, I, I keep my cell phone on most all the time, so uh, you can reach me or email me at uh, John J O H N at Cabstrat, which is K A B as in boy S T R A T dot com. John at Cabstrat dot com, but. Reach out if you're interested. We want to make sure you get the help you need, that you know you're not alone, and that you're talking to other small business owners who are who are fighting this fight alongside you, and that we're here for you. So, folks, light up John's phone and uh, you know make his email uh, incoming message box. You know, give him hundreds of messages that he has to deal with over the Thanksgiving holiday and going <laughs> forward. Um, so anyway, John, okay tell, tell me about this is an interesting thing that I, you know, I try to stay up on, you know, everything going on that affects business. And it, that's been my politics. But this whole issue on, you know, that I talked to you about, you know, it kind of is one of those things that's a sleeper out there, but it's a huge issue in regards to this whole technology uh kind of hold up uh, or kind of a kind of it's you know, kind of a stalemate dealing with these technology issues and how it negatively impacts impacts all our businesses but especially small business and certainly the US economy so why don't, you know tell us about this issue you're you're working on John yeah, well, thank you, Mike, and I appreciate that. This is also wearing uh, the uh, my Cabotec strategies hat as well, but uh, we've had a good fortune of having the chance to work with a number of uh, entities within the technology community. And in particular, uh, Mike, you know, NFIB, as just as a side note, is part of a coalition of all of the, pretty much most all of the leading uh, business job creator groups in California, as well as a lot of the local um, and regional ones around the state, local chambers, local de development groups, business groups. Um, we are part of an alliance to protect California's innovation economy and raise awareness among both our state leaders and our nation's leaders uh, and at the federal level about the need to protect and keep the technology sector thriving. Look, Mike, you, you know, you don't have to look too far to see that Tesla has left California. We've got Oracle, H Hewlett Packard, other businesses, but small to medium technology businesses aren't so easy to up and leave. Um, and our leaders are making it next to impossible for businesses in the technology and innovation economy sector to thrive. A couple of things I wanted to point out, you know, there are, there are two bills, you know, Congress right now has 
been looking at all of these um, bills that are seriously overreaching as it relates to constraining our technology sector. Uh, there's no question technology is still ever evolving. There's no question that we look at ways to responsibly regulate. But there's a couple things going on right now. Two bills right now, Mike, that are currently being considered by Congress that would significantly hamstring if not completely eliminate vital online platforms for Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook. Um, and I think that, frankly, our elected leaders in Congress need to know the, the serious consequences. There's two, two bills. There's um, H.R. 3816, H.R. 3816, and H.R. 3825 which what they would basically do is they would take these, these, these online platforms and services that consumers and businesses, small businesses might can use at free or low cost would now be eliminated by these legislations, these pieces of legislation, making it impossible for businesses or consumers to actually have these free services. Right now, Mike, especially in this pandemic, especially going into the holidays, we have found so many consumers enjoying the ability to um, at low or no cost, be able to sell their wares online or people purchasing online. But these two pieces of legislation are going to be detrimental. So we've been encouraging Speaker Pelosi, uh, uh, members of Congress like Eric Swalwell up in the Bay Area, um, Anna Eshoo in the Bay Area, uh, Zoe Lofgren, um, to really please listen to this and make sure that they don't do the wrong thing. And they and their colleagues in Congress need to make sure we are not driving tech businesses out of California, but we're also not taking away these critically important uh, tools, online tools that people are using, Google Maps, Amazon uh, purchasing tools. And if these overreaching pieces of legislation go forward, I can assure you it's going to make that much more of a difficulty for small businesses and consumers to get what they need in this terrible COVID era. So two things on that. One, I've talked many times about, you know, that, that those bills are federal bills and we have to, you know, separate out, you know, state of California on its own does things to be a job killer. Um, sure. And that, that we have to focus in on. I've talked on the show about, you know, Elon Musk. Here you have a guy with a green company, Tesla, all electric cars, who all he asked for was an audience with Governor Newsom to be to basically have a serious conversation to basically enlighten the governor on the things that California should consider doing differently to allow people like him to stay as competitive as he needed to be and stay in California. And the governor said, uh, Tesla will never leave California. And well, now they're in Austin. Um, so, right. you know, that 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 it start at the local at state level. We need to keep pressure on the governor, our state legislators to listen to our business leaders who have ideas. You know, I often when I was you know, a regional administrator uh, for EPA and, and the Trump administration's directive, contrary to what the public opinion is. I mean, I, I have an upcoming book called Inside Trump's EPA that I, I show actually the Trump administration was harder on the environment uh, and in terms of enforcement, cleaner air, cleaner water, cleaner land than the Obama administration was. But at the same time, our directive was eliminate the crazy rules and regulations that cost our businesses time and money, but don't do anything to help improve the environment. We were able to deregulate 43 regulations that our, our estimates were cost our businesses $7 billion a year and did nothing to help the environment. Well, that's the kind of thing in California we need to start focusing in on, getting rid of crazy regulations. It all starts with legislation being passed 
And then the agency in charge of legislation has what's called rulemaking. They engage with in passing regulations to enforce those statutes. And it's often, you know, whether it's, you know, Cal EPA, the Natural Resources Agency, you know, uh, you name it, whatever federal agency will pass regulations in the name of helping the environment, helping protect the, the worker. That doesn't do that, but it adds a lot of costs, a lot of uh, extra time to those businesses, which equates to a lot lost money. That's where NFIBs are so critical. That's where we need to keep the focus on Governor Newsom. That's what Elon Musk wanted to talk about. And by the way, Elon did mention, you know, when he got to, to, to San Antonio or to Austin, he said, Austin, don't become like San Francisco or I'll leave Austin. Kind of giving them, a, you know, the message, you know, you have a lot of liberal Californians moving to Austin that are changing their your policies, trying to make it another San Francisco progressive left city. You do that, I'll leave again. So, you know, enough on Elon. One of the things that you made me think about, sure. you know, John, when you were talking about the, the two congressional bills, the two HR numbers, I assume NFIB, like a lot of our trade associations, if you get on an email list for the NFIB, they will send you emails often to, to send a, a message to your state legislator or send a message to your member of Congress. And basically you just dial in your, they'll send you that email, you click on it, you then basically fill in your name, you send it on the zip code. And what it will do is the NFIB, I believe NFIB has that program, maybe you don't, but if, do you have that program, John? To, for, we do. I think we encourage, we always encourage people to connect with us personally, first and foremost. Um, but, you know, when you get on our website, there are certainly opportunities and avenues for people to sound off to their legislators, to their leaders on whatever issue, like a California issue, a federal issue, uh, certainly those two. And certainly uh, we allow that, make it easy. So, But we encourage people to connect with us first, connect with me. I know I gave my information. Let's find out what's your real problem, what's keeping you up at night. And then we'll help steer you in the right direction so you can be heard, because that's the essence of what we need right now and what NFIB is all about, getting your voice heard from Main Street, from the small business. So NFIB um, can help you folks. I urge you to either contact John Direct or go on the website. And before we go into talking about redistricting, what are those two, eight, what you, all you listeners out there, I don't care whether you're in California or wherever, John's going to give you these two HR numbers, and you need to contact your legislator either directly, if you know his or her, you know, your member of Congress uh, email address. Otherwise, you can go on the website that NFIB has and they can steer you in the right direction. But why don't you, you know, let's leave this segment with what are the two HR numbers in Congress that we're hoping all members of Congress will oppose? Yeah. And, you know, we are there are uh, the two measures are HR House Resolution 3816 and House Resolution 3816. 3816 and 3825. Uh, again, these two measures would dramatically hamstring businesses from being able to gather uh, and, and consumers from being able to utilize vital online platforms uh, that are helping them, these important online tools that are helping people buy and sell their wares. Um, and I think the best the best thing to do is just make sure that people are sounding off with their policymakers saying, please, at the state level and federal level, do not overreach. Do not overreach when it comes to uh, technology, but any level uh, of small business. We, But we need to make sure that businesses have the ability and consumers in this day and age 
Uh, we don't know how long this pandemic is going to continue, Mike. And, you know, the most important thing we can do is give people the ability to shop online. And I'll tell you this, to tie it in a little bit, I know Small Business Saturday is coming up on November 27th. We've got the holidays upon us. And we found it. And if I be the good news is we found that uh, more than uh, 2 million more Americans uh, two million more dollars were spent actually uh, in 2020 during the pandemic year than pre-pandemic by consumers shopping online. So people are getting online, they're shopping online, and they're buying more. We can't hamstring that. we got to make sure our governor, our legislators, and Congress are doing all they can to pave the way for people to easily utilize their technology and make it in a way that people can get what they need and that's vital services. That's not just Christmas toys, Mike. That's vital that's services. That's everything. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, every 10 years, you and I are, you know, for me, it's like the movie Groundhog Day. And I don't know how many times I've been through redistricting. And I started the show mentioning, I mean, people don't realize that your county board of supervisors and the counties that draw the, the supervisorial districts. And then you have the state redistricting commission with recommendations and only the state legislature that ultimately adopts your state legislative and congressional districts. Um, you know, I made some comments in the beginning of the show on what local folks in Santa Barbara need to be doing to make sure something really crazy that's being recommended doesn't happen. Well, I'll tell you, John, we haven't even had this conversation to keep try to keep the board liberal. They're trying to take UCSB and Isla Vista in southern Santa Barbara County, which is in Goleta, Santa Barbara, and get, make a little narrow strip all the way up to the coast and put UCSB and Isla Vista into the city of Lompoc. Um, so, yeah. Wow. That, and I said, you know, that, that that's going to probably end up if it go that way, definitely will end up in court. It doesn't, you know, doesn't deal with the, the, the legal redistricting guidelines and trying to keep a community of interest together. But what is NFIB doing, if anything, on the state front at the county level? They're going to make the final adoption December 10th at the state level. I believe. Yeah. I mean, what's the timing for the state? Isn't it like February or January, February? About there, Mike. Yeah, about January, February. Um, yeah, redistricting is still, I guess, the, as they say in politics, the dust is still settling on the uh, on the political floor here, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I think we have found with the redistricting commission, as you said, uh, NFIB is going to make sure, first of all, your listeners should definitely know, we do endorse and we will endorse both at the state level and at the federal level. Um, but here at the, at the state level, you know, we had a, we recently had a presentation uh, from uh, one of our good allies with the California Chamber, but also part of a larger business group uh, coalition. As we're looking at redistricting, people are asking, what's the pathway? What's the pathway that we could possibly get more small business friendly candidates in elected? And right now, as I understand it, Mike, uh, you know, right in the state Senate, we're looking at about eight open seats, I think five Democrats and three Republicans. The seats, when we say that, seats that will be open and kind of open for for anybody to vie for. Uh, and then there's about six seats of interest. So about 14 seats in the Senate where there's a pathway for us to get more small business friendly people elected. In the Assembly, also eight open seats uh, that we are looking at, uh, you know, five that favored Democrats, one favoring Republicans, and about 21 seats of interest. So I think in the Senate, where you've got 40 people who serve, uh, we have about 14 opportunities. And then over there in the Assembly, where we've got 80 people, we have about 30 opportunities. So if your listeners are a little confused, the bottom line is there is a pathway redistricting we're still all trying to make sense of it but it's going to be very strange i think 
what we're trying to do at NFIB is get the message out that you need to put your you need to put your walk and your talk in line with each other. And we're encouraging your listeners when they're listening to candidates or looking at candidates, ask them those hard questions. What are you going to do or what have you done to get me out of this COVID crisis? And will you keep, will you hold the line on taxes? Will you hold the line on regulations and frivolous lawsuits? Um, will you get me the help that I need and how will you do it? But hold them accountable. They work for us and they will work for us. We do not work for them. And that's critically important that people are going into this election cycle. Well, and as we go into the election cycle, we have, we have about two minutes and where I want to close. Um, again, I would highly recommend you either email John or at a minimum go on the website. Uh, you know, the legislature will reconvene in January. You know, basically, you're going to have a whole slew of bills that will be introduced and authored. I think isn't the cutoff date, John, for to submit legislation by legislators is like mid-March, as I recall, is the time period that they have to have the bills in. Um, and so what you're going to end up having, John, well, NFIB and small and business, California Business Roundtable, California Manufacturer, U.S. You know, ch Chamber, uh, you know, Grower Shipper, you, you know, United Ag. I mean, I can down the list of all the different, you know, uh, associations fighting for business. Literally, all these bills are going to be introduced and authored in, you know, starting in early January. It's, it's a whole, whole bunch of bills get authored that first two to three months. Then it starts going through the committee process. John and NFIB is going to be the NFIB and John, I can assure you, for anybody monitoring all these bills and how they help small business and support it or how they hurt small business and, 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 and should be opposing it. NFIB and John is going to be at the forefront of all of these coalition, uh, the coalition members representing business interests in general when it comes to small business. And by staying in touch with NFIB, becoming a member, uh, looking at their website, you're going to constantly be reminded of what legislation is going through the state process and where you listeners in California, especially need to contact your state legislator and let him or her know what, what bills they should support, what bills they should oppose. And John and NFIB, are, you know, this is the organization that can keep you right, you know, t on top of all those bills that are gonna go through a slew of them through the legislative process. Um, you know, we got about a minute left, John. I don't know if you have anything you wanna say in closing? Well, Mike, I appreciate that. Yes, I'll just say, you know, you can count on it. We at the state level are going to be fighting tooth and nail here. We're going to make sure that there's responsible vaccination policy, that we're not um, hamstringing small businesses with uh, overreach of vaccination, but keeping our communities safe. Um, we're going to make sure that we're holding the line on frivolous lawsuits. NFIB has been championing efforts for the past couple of years to try and get small business liability protections. We're going to come back with that, continue with that. We're going to make sure there's not this overreach of leave excessively. We have 16 different leave bills and policies in California that, that we're going to make sure that we're not adding to that so small businesses can survive. But on a happier note, on a positive note, Mike, we're encouraging every one of your listeners to get out there this small business Saturday, November 27th, but any day of the year during the holidays and beyond to help your small businesses. Help that corner toy store, retailer, restaurant, uh, auto shop. Just go shop small because by doing that, you'll be doing something very big. And we appreciate it. And Mike, I appreciate you. You're a great friend. And 
always love being uh, having a chance to speak with you, and I wish you a happy, happy Thanksgiving and a wonderful well, holiday. And everybody well, else out there. Yeah, John. I, hey, my birthday is this Friday, the twenty sixth. So my birthday present for from all of you can be go out there on Small Business Saturday, support our small businesses. And I just want to close with all our listeners out there. I really hope you and your family has a uh, wonderful and a blessed Thanksgiving holiday from the cabana. We're signing off on the podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday. Have a blessed Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.